If you have your Bibles, let's turn to a passage that serves as one of the proof texts for this portion of the catechism we're looking at today. And this is 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. So Paul's first letter to Timothy, his young apostolic associate, co-laborer in the gospel, 1 Timothy uh, chapter 3 and verse 16. And so let me invite you as you're able, uh, let's stand in honor of the reading and the hearing of the gospel uh, as it comes to us through the scriptures and even through the letters of the Apostle Paul. In First Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, Paul uh, wrote, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. May God bless today the reading and the hearing of his word. And let's join again in prayer. Gracious and loving God, we do give thee thanks for thy word You have made provisions for your people Uh, over many years. You uh, provided for the Israelites uh, in the wilderness manna uh, from heaven. Uh, You provided for thy servant Elijah in a time of famine, the food that came uh, from the ravens. And you have provided us uh, the word of God. Uh, You have provided us the bread of life. And so we ask that you would help us to receive and to be nourished by thy word today. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. And you may be seated. Well, we are continuing today this ongoing uh, series that we're involved in, this exposition of what is known as the, the, the Heidelberg Catechism. And you can find the the passages we're going to be looking at today on the back of your bulletin on Lord's Day 6. Now, I'll tell you one thing that's interesting as we've we've got this exercise going of working through these 129 questions that are divided in between uh, 52 Sundays. Uh, I don't know. I'm I'm feeling like it's already Lord's Day 6 of 2024. Uh, and so I'm kind of using these as a mile marker also to see how uh, quickly the time passes by. Um, so last time we were looking at Lord's Day 5. And in that we turned the corner in the, the catechism from the opening section that is about guilt or man's misery, his inability to keep the law. And we turned the corner to the second part of this catechism, which is about grace. And you might remember that threefold division. It's about guilt, grace, and gratitude. And we'll get to the third part, gratitude, on Lord's Day 32. Uh, So we've got quite a ways to go meditating on grace, meditating upon redemption. And really that's the major part of this catechism is to teach us more about what Christ has done for us, how we have been saved. Um, and so we learned last time that, uh, that we need a way to escape the righteous judgment of God. Someone has to satisfy 
the justice of God. Uh, We can either do it ourselves or someone else can do it for us. The problem is we can't do it ourselves. Uh, Last time we saw that our guilt before God is like an enormous debt that we don't have the resources to begin to pay. And with every passing moment, with every passing day, we pile up more ongoing transgressions and we get buried further under the load of that debt. We can't pay it ourselves. (coughs) Also, there's no other creature who can do this for us. Why? Because God will not allow it as each man must stand on his own before him. And even if he did allow it, no mere fallen creature would be capable of such. As the answer to question 14 said, no mere creature can sustain the burden of God's eternal wrath against sin so as to deliver others from it. So we can't take care of ourselves. No other creature can take care of it for us. What is required we learned last time, is one who is very man and perfectly righteous and very God, being more powerful than all mere creatures. We uh, don't then, I think I ended last time by saying, we don't then have the possibility of many saviors, certainly not the the possibility of self-salvation, But there is only one who could possibly be our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Today, the Catechism is going to continue to instruct us as to why and how Christ is the only one who can save sinners. And it will focus, as we started last week, on what theologians call the two natures of Christ. We're being taught basic doctrine. But the Lord Jesus Christ is one person with two natures. The orthodox or right-believing consensus is that the Lord Jesus Christ is one person with two natures. Very man or true man and very God, true God. And the catechism teaches us why this is the case, why we must affirm this. We start with question 16. Why must he, our Savior, our mediator, be very man and also perfectly righteous? And the answer is because the justice of God requires that the same human nature which had sinned should likewise make satisfaction for sin. And one who is himself a sinner cannot satisfy for others. How did sin first enter the world? How did sin first enter into the race of mankind, we might say? God made man upright. It was through the sin of one man, Adam, that sin came into humanity. And so redemption must likewise come through one man. Sin came through one fallen man, Redemption comes through one righteous man. This is what Paul said in Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered the world, and, by, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Death came through the first Adam, life 
comes through the second Adam. Furthermore, the scriptures teach that only one who was not a sinner himself could satisfy God's wrath for sin. In 1 Peter 3.18 it says, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. And Christ is that just or righteous man who laid down his life for the unjust or for the unrighteous. Christ was and is the only man without sin who has ever walked upon the face of this earth after Adam who had been made upright and then fell into sin. So he is the only just one who might stand for the unjust. Question 17. Why must our mediator, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, in one person be also very God? The answer is that he might, by the power of his Godhead, sustain in his human nature the burden of God's wrath and might obtain for and restore to us righteousness and life. The power of man alone, even a sinless man, was not enough to bring about our salvation. But it required a Redeemer who in his one person is also very God. It took all the power of his Godhead to sustain that human nature so that he might be the wrath bearer for us. And it took that same divine power to raise Christ from the dead for our justification after he had paid the penalty on the cross. This is why in the accounts of Christ's resurrection in the New Testament, it is so often described as being an act of God the Father by the Spirit. Christ also being one in essence with the persons of the Father and the Spirit. Consider Peter's preaching at Pentecost in Acts 2, when he described the Lord Jesus in Acts 2.24 as him whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. But the emphasis being on the fact that God hath raised him up. It took the power of the Godhead. So our salvation required one person who is very man, true man, a just man, and also at the same time, very God, true God. There was only one person in human history who fits this bill, and it is the Lord Jesus Christ. Question 18 then asks, who then is that mediator who is in one person both very God and a real righteous man? And the answer is our Lord Jesus Christ, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. We have uh, said uh, that spoken of this catechism as a discipleship instrument. It's a way of t- discipling us, teaching us. And we've also noted, uh, Ben and I noted, noted when he talked about it, I've mentioned it a couple times, that it's, it's very common to save the Heidelberg Catechism that it provides milk for babes and meat for mature men. And if you look at question 18, it's, it's very simple, isn't it? Who is the mediator? Who, who is this person who is very God? and a real righteous man. 
And the answer begins, our Lord Jesus Christ. Our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, it's very simple, isn't it? But again, every child who's here, these children who are growing up, they need to hear this from the pulpit. They need to hear it spoken of in their homes. They need to hear it spoken of by us. That Christ, in his one person, is very God, very man. And he is our mediator. Two key proof texts are cited. The first proof text for this question and answer is 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, which I read at the beginning. It starts off, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. And really the reason I think they chose this proof text is the next line. God was manifest in the flesh. That's a declaration of the incarnation. John's gospel, it's the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we behold his glory. Here it's God was manifest in the flesh. So that the Lord Jesus Christ is again a true man and he is true God. He was also justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. It's a little, it's a little uh, gospel in a nutshell in verse 16, but it begins with the wonder of the incarnation. This is also, some of you know, 1 Timothy 3.16 is one of those verses where the text and translation matters. And some modern versions render it, He was manifest in the flesh. He was manifest in the flesh and not God was manifest in the flesh. I was reading, uh, I think last week or the week before, a Presbyterian theologian named R.L. Dabney. And in 1871, he wrote about uh, some of the changes that were being made in the 19th century to the Bibles of that day. And he said, if the reader will glance back, he will find that in every case, the doctrinal effect of the departure from the received text is to obscure or suppress some testimony of the divinity of the Savior. And I think that is certainly true of changing 1 Timothy 3.16 from God was manifest in the flesh to read simply he was manifest in the flesh. <coughs> there's nothing ordinary about a man being manifested in the flesh. But there's something extraordinary about God being manifest in the flesh. Many times these supposedly little changes in the text are made inadvertently, sometimes by liberals intentionally. But the result can be, as it would here, if you, didn't, if you change the reading here of 1 Timothy 3.16, it would undermine one of the proof texts to the Heidelberg Catechism. It would undermine the whole history of classic Protestant teaching that Christ is God manifest in the flesh. The second proof text that is cited is quoted in the answer. Our Lord Jesus Christ, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Well, that's just a quotation from 1 Corinthians 1, verse 30. But of him are ye, Paul's talking to the Corinthian believers, you, you all, but of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. No wonder this catechism has been called an echo of the Bible. And I love it when our, our confessions and our catechisms are simply um, giving us the Bible, giving us statements from the Bible. 
called from the Bible. The final uh, question on Lord's Day 5 moved us from Christology, the doctrine of Christ as one person in two natures. Um, sorry, for Lord's Day 6 as we are on today. It moves us from that discussion to a different kind of discussion, the question of knowledge. And the philosophers, theologians call this epistemology. How do we know things? How do we know what is true? What is our source? What is, what is our authoritative source? And so in question 19, it turns and starts to ask us this. This is a really important question. Now, this is a, this is a question we all have to answer. Uh, what is our source of authority? How do we know what to believe? How do we know who we are? Uh, how do we know uh, what the world is? What, how do we know what our purpose is in life? In this case, though, it's, ha- it's asking, how do we know that Christ is the mediator who is uh, very man and very God? Whence knowest thou this? From where do you know this? And the teacher answers back, from the Holy Gospel, which God himself first revealed in paradise, and afterwards published by the patriarchs and prophets, and represented by the sacrifices and other ceremonies of the law, and lastly has fulfilled it by his only begotten Son. And so the answer that comes back, how do we know this? How do we know this about Christ? And the answer is, we know this holy gospel, this good news, as it has been revealed to us in Scripture. And our teacher mentions four ways this has been revealed to us from the Bible. First, it was revealed in paradise, in what we call the proto-evangelium or the proto-gospel. We talked a lot about this when we were in Genesis. It's a basic building block of our faith to know that in Genesis 3.15, after Adam and Eve had fallen, that there was a prophecy, the first prophecy of one who, will, who would come from the line of woman who would crush the head of a serpent, even while he was bruised. Genesis 3.15, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Secondly, this holy gospel, this holy good news, was published, our catechism says, by the patriarchs and the prophets. This means that the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, that God being manifest in the flesh, was prophesied in the Old Testament. It was there in the patriarchs, in Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And it was there in the great prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah. One of the proof texts that is made is a reference in Genesis twenty-two eighteen to the promise that was given to Father Abraham. And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. From the very beginning, first patriarch is, is told, a Savior is going to come through you who's going to bless the nations. And it's interesting, the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 1.1, it, it calls Christ from the very beginning the son of Abraham. He, he comes from the, the line of Abraham. A third, third, this holy gospel is revealed to us in shadows and types of the Old Testament sacrifices and the ceremonial law. 
Read, uh, if you will, the scriptural teaching that we find in places like the book of Hebrews, particularly in Hebrews 10, which teaches that in the Old Testament there were sacrifices and there were burnt offerings. And they were pointing towards something else that was yet to come. And in Hebrews 10, verses 9 and following, Paul says, Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first that he may establish the second. He takes away the, the, all the ceremonial laws of the Old Testament that he might establish the second. And he continues in Hebrews 10.10, 10, By the which will we, will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And then fourthly, in this little really question and answer 19 is really a, a survey of the Bible. It's how do we know things are this about Christ? Well, we know it from the Bible. And where do we look at the Bible? Well, we look at the, 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 the prophecy that was made uh, in Genesis 3. We look at what was said to the patriarchs and prophets. We look at all the, the sacrifices and the ceremonial law of the Old Testament all points toward Christ. And then finally... It all comes to fulfillment. All these promises, prophecies, and shadows come to fulfillment in the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and God was manifest in the flesh. As it says in the opening verses of Hebrews, Hebrews 1, verse 1, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake, in time past under the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. Who is our Savior? Who is our mediator? Had to be one who was very man and very God. Who is he? He is the Lord Jesus Christ. And we were told of him in the Holy Gospel. And so let us receive it. Let us believe it. Let us commit ourselves unto it. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let me invite you to stand together. Let's join in prayer. Gracious and loving God, we do give thee thanks for the mystery that was concealed from past generations. There were things into which the angels wished to peer. And yet in the fullness of time, those things that were concealed have now been revealed. And the one who was promised to Abraham, who would come and be a blessing to the nations, has come. And we, uh, who were Gentiles, uh, according to the flesh, and were not a people, and were far off, have now been brought near by the blood of Christ. And so we give thee all thanks and praise uh, for the grace that has come to us, the salvation that has come to us through Christ. What we could not do for ourselves, what no fellow creature could do for us, Christ has done for us. And we give thee all the praise, glory, and honor. Amen.